Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast. Booyah. Welcome to the Investories Podcast. Hey, it's me, John Hooper. And with me is not my co-host, Kyle Robertson. He is, he's traveling. Um, hey, Kyle, if you're listening. Um, and uh, yeah, so you, you're stuck with me for the ne- next couple of weeks. So hey, bear with me. Bear with the podcast. We're still, uh, we're still rolling. Um, and we've got a really interesting topic today. And for me, it's kind of interesting because... Um, it's something I don't know much about. We've, we've had people on to talk about insurance before. This is really more about the financial wealth, financial planning piece, um, or really financial strategy, wealth strategy. Uh, so we've got uh, Stephanie Walters, who Urbay Wealth. And Stephanie is an ex-insurance business owner, uh, ex-insurance broker, full-time real estate investor, and also... Um, owns a wealth strategy company so she works with high net worth individuals to figure out strategies to save them on tax and build out um you know build out kind of what's next in their in their wealth journey uh, plan for retirement those kind of things and um what stephanie's collected over her time doing that is really the kind of inside baseball the inside game of of what the what the wealthy do with their money, how they invest, how they protect that money, uh, and preserve it, and and preserve it for future future generations. So it's a it's a super interesting um, and kind of um, the mechanics, a view of the mechanics of of what that looks like and how to uh, how to kind of apply those lessons to your own kind of financial journey. Uh, so super excited to have Stephanie on. Uh, she's very knowledgeable, uh, a very calming influence uh, and uh, and super interesting to kind of listen to to what that looks like. And there's there's a ton of things you'll learn from from the uh, from the interview. So hopefully you like it um, while I've got you here. Drop me a line. Uh, Investories podcast at Gmail dot com and ask us a question. We're going to do another listeners questions with Kyle once he's back. So. What questions do you have for a man who's quit his W2, was a firefighter, feel free to throw in firefighter related questions, um, and is now investing and building that, that portfolio? You might have questions about scale, you might have questions about how to run numbers or acquisition strategies, or how to find the best real estate agent in a, in a neighborhood, or how to analyze crime rates and things like that anything you want or maybe even just where he gets his hats from or when he's going to shave his beard next uh yeah drop us a line either on investoriespodcast at gmail.com or go to our instagram page investoriespod and dm us and and if you don't have a question just say hi uh we're going to get better on the socials uh that, that's uh it's been a bit bit slow on that so apologies anyway without further ado here's stephanie Welcome to Investories, Stephanie Walter of Urbay Wealth. Hey, hey Stephanie. Nice to nice to be here. <laughs> it's great great to have you on the on the podcast and um, a fellow podcaster, yeah. right? You've just yes, launched. Yes, I did. Engineering Wealth today. <laughs> I like that. So, what's the what's the show about? Um, it's about uh, just talking to people about um, kind of my book, which is you know shattering some myths about money. And just kind of the name came from 
what I saw when I raised money from my wealthy investors is they tend to have an idea of what they want to achieve and then they engineer the solution that will give it to them, which is really different than most most of us out there. Absolutely. There's there's kind of levels, yeah. isn't there? There's tears. I, I was um, at a conference with a buddy of mine who makes a fortune and then we look we were looking at a ten million no, a hundred million dollar yacht. Wow. And he's like, I couldn't even afford the maintenance of that thing. It's like, wow, that's when you, the, the game of that. We're going to get into all yeah. of that. Um, so, so talk to me about your background. You're in the insurance industry for a long time. You built a business yeah. and then yes, you sold it, right? What was the, give, give us the, uh, the story. I, uh, well, I started as a W-2 employee and then realized pretty quickly that um, with my dad's help that, uh, you know, I, I needed to be an entrepreneur to control my own destiny. And so I started an insurance agency in 05, 06. Uh, and then around that same time, I started investing in single family real estate. My goal was to invest in a, you know, a, a, a house every couple years, basically, was, was my idea. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, I had no strategy, but I just went ahead and, and did it. Uh, and then uh, in 2016, I got brought into a boot camp that was talking about how to buy apartment buildings. And that's when I was introduced to the concept of syndication, which is a group of people that are buying a large commercial property that's much more than anyone can do on by themselves. So I loved that concept and I was sort of sold. I did my first syndication in 2018. And from then on, uh, we've my partner and I have closed on 12 different deals. It's I've raised over $40 million and um, we've acquired about $300 million of assets under management. But um, I, I enjoy that, but actually I worked with a lot of wealthy people and realized that the way that they looked at money was very different than the way that I did to really try to figure out what they were doing and how they were doing it. And I implemented uh, a lot of the strategies with my own assets I had. And as such, I was able to sell my business in 2021 because I'd replaced my, my income basically. And so now my focus is really letting people know about these alternative ways of investing and also questioning what they're doing right now and taking more charge of their finances. I love that. So I'm going to ask you what the what was the pivotal thing? What what was the driver for the real estate um, kind of going for that? But also then the pivot to in the business was there a a book or a kind of lesson or a, or something going on um, in your life? Well, I think uh, that's a good question. I think I you know once I started understanding how money worked and uh, that I could do things more efficiently and produce more than what I was doing, then that was simply from watching wealthy people. But I mean, my interest in real estate came from my dad who, who has since passed away, but um, he, that always made sense to me. So real estate was always tangible. It's always like, this is a property. I can go up, walk, touch it. It has a value. 
and and that sort of thing because the stock market really never made a lot of sense to me and actually when I was an insurance agent I was uh, a series 6 and series 7 licensed at that time and I went through that loss of you know 2008-2009 and I was pretty, de- I was devastated um, myself. Uh, I hadn't invested, but for my clients, you know, that had invested. And there was no one that gave us the heads up that this was coming. Nobody knew. And so that's when it just really crystallized in my mind that, you know, this is not, the stock market is not for me. Uh, basically, I want to continue to invest in these these tangible real estate assets no i i really like that i really uh, appreciate that answer i think um i'm the same the stock market it was for me i made some money actually um and then i kind of went i don't really understand this i don't really understand why it went up i'm just going to take my money out i do invest for my daughter um in index funds but that's about my limited knowledge of it because mm-hmm. for that for that reason uh, for me the real estate the kind of material aspect the uh, something you can go and live in is quite uh, quite interesting and and super kind of exciting as well i guess as a, from like providing a service or, or you know being of value to the community maybe not quite yet um, but certainly with big apartment buildings yes. was it was it terrifying that first syndication or did you feel like you had <laughs> all the answers or <laughs> didn't know the questions no i i mean the first syndication i actually did by myself um it was a smaller property it was 18 units but it was oh, it was hard and uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I still own that property today and I'm proud that I did do it. But that's sort of why I teamed up with my partner. He has a lot more knowledge of the areas that we have invested in are in Florida. That's where he's lived for the past 45 years and he's a commercial broker. So he understands the ins and outs. So it's less scary when you have a team that surrounds you. He he hates raising money. He hates talking to people. He's a very, um, he's a real numbers person. So he's grateful for me. I'm grateful for him. So so it works out well. That's so cool. One of the things I've heard time and time and again at a meetup I go to is is half kind of. Was commercial multifamily, but a lot of syndicators go, and there's a lot of talk around syndication. Is finding those partners that, like you just said, I hate raising. I love running numbers. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I like presenting. I'm not sure if I could raise, um, but I love talking to people, networking, building funnels, marketing, writing emails, and project management. So I'm kind of in that weird middle bubble bit of kind of <laughs> on the fence. Yeah. I guess it sounds like. How did you find your your partner? Um, we I did all my education because you can't just run out and do syndications. Well, I, I don't think you should. But uh, when I learned, I, I got educated. There's many educational systems. I just ended up choosing RE Mentor. Um, and that was about two years of education so that I got before I even closed on my first deal. So he, Vino is his name. He was he and his nephew were had signed up the same time I did. So we met th- each other through some classes and and things like that. And we were just sort of connected by someone. Someone knew I had gone under contract for a property in Florida, and they were like, "Hey, you should talk to Vino. He lives in Florida." He's really familiar so I did um, and that's sort of how we connected 
That's awesome. And, and, you know, I think one of the things as people starting out is, is like, where do you start? How do you make this network? And getting in the room with people, even if it's a virtual room or a telephone call, is such a good start point. And you have to pay a little bit of money to get there, usually, yeah. uh, especially if you want training. But you get, hey, you get training, but you also get that fast track of knowledge from other people, all that extra role that you needed, that kind of dynamism in, in what you're trying to do. So that's that's really interesting. Um, I did want to talk to, about, talk to you about um, about mindset. And I guess the first one is, was there any kind of growth books, kind of those kind of things that you, you tapped into as you as you kind of went into the um, syndication, but also into your, your new endeavor? Yeah, I mean, so I, I've always loved reading books. I think my husband, um, I met him, oh, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. And he was always like, why are you reading all these books? Like every book you have has a millionaire in its title. So I was reading like The Millionaire Next Door, the um, just books about money. Uh, Tony Robbins has a few books about money. Um, I, I've just always been really interested in mindset. And I'm glad that you said that because that's, I think uh, the first chapter in my book is addressing mindset and how mindset is very different from the wealthy person to the per to the average person. And I'm putting myself in that category because I had that same mindset. Um, wealthy people have a real abundance mindset and they believe that there's plenty for everyone, that there's opportunities, that they're usually extremely helpful people giving people, I mean, that this has been my experience, whereas, uh, but there are wealthy people that have a different mindset, but I would say the majority of people are in scarcity mindset. And I mean, in this day and age, it's, it's pretty easy to see why, you know, that um, everything is a bit chaotic in, in where we're living and, and what's going on with uh, the debt and the government and, it puts us really into in the inflation and scarcity like there isn't enough and if mm -hmm. i take something i'm taking it from someone else but that's um that's that's a really important thing that that you need to change and and to really learn about yourself to get into the right mindset uh, another mindset that is different is that w me, uh, prior to learning all of this, was in accumulation mindset, which was, I'm just going to accumulate accumulate properties. I don't really cash flow much from them, but I'm just going to hold on to them and manage these properties until they're paid off, and then I'll be able to retire. Um, people do this with their 401ks, by and large. They hand the money off hope that in 30 to you know 40 years they'll be able to take the money out hopefully that's enough for them to live on the rest of their lives um and and give all the control away whereas a whereas a wealthy person is in a utilization mindset so they believe in using that money is basically their employee it's what have you done for me lately what 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 are are you trying to achieve with the money but the money is in is in motion and is working at all times to to provide cash flow um you know just asset accumulation but mostly it is cash flow because at the end of the day if you don't have cash flow you don't have the freedom and the choices of of stepping away from a job or a business 
No, I think I think that's really interesting, and I I kind of didn't get that for a long time. I took my um, old retirement account self directed, and that taught me to kind of feel feel like. Well, I've got 10 grand sat there, but what's it doing? It's not accruing any interest. How do I get it out and back in again with some extra money attached to it? So that's that's really interesting. Do you think, I, I guess it's kind of a weird question. Do you think that that's partly driven by people just feeling like they don't have money? Or do you think it's part of the educational kind of missteps no. in our formative years? I mean, I believe that... Our society is so undereducated when it comes to financial planning. And I would, I don't know that there's a big conspiracy about it. I think banks and financial people are doing what's best for them, but that is not what's best for people. And um, so I think people are taught to, to, do, to invest in their 401k and that money gets invested they don't know most of the time where it is or, or what kind of returns they're getting. But most importantly, they don't know what kind of fees they're paying. So that's why, it, you know, what you're doing with a little bit of money that you're working with, putting it in index funds, you know that you're getting very uh, low fees associated with a, the same type of return that a mutual fund could give you. You know, many times it's better. So, you know, knowing what your fees are, just being proactive. It is your money at the end of the day. And you should know and be responsible and not scared about getting involved in the decisions regarding it. That's really interesting. I think what, what I liked about your book, and I've, I've kind of read a, read a couple of pages, a couple of chapters on it. And if, you, if you're listening to this and want to find out about it, just go on the website link in the show notes and you can get it you'll get it in your inbox for free mm-hmm. and it's it's really worth reading it's it's a great kind of insight into um yeah the like you said the myths <laughs> i think that's a really easy way to kind of distill what we believe uh, management fees is one of them uh, there's some uh, there's some interesting bits and pieces around um the kind of the differences and and how we how we see things um in terms of in terms of someone's shifting mindset or shifting like that education, obviously starting with your book, what else can they kind of do to, to get educated? Is, is there anything you went through that would be kind of beneficial to our listeners? I read, um, I read, you know, some books that were really important to my growth, uh, along with just being, being connected with some mentors that happened to be my investors Um, that were generous to tell me what they were doing. But I think the mindset book that really changed the way that I looked at money was was, uh, Killing Sacred Cows by Garrett Gunderson. And it is very much a mindset book uh, about how you view money. Why are you putting money away? Why do you have no responsibility for the money? And just points out a lot of ways that your your view of money should change um that that was a big book for me um trying to think of of any other ones but that that one was for sure um one that changed the way that i looked at money that sounds really interesting i'm going to check that out i haven't I haven't heard of that and it sounds really really it interesting <laughs> I'll check that one out. Um, in terms of um, the the company now and what you what you do, what what do you do? What is the the 
the the core principles of of kind of what you're doing and and I guess how people can kind of leverage that. Yeah, what I do now, I mean, I I have we have all of our syndications in in play, and for me, I'm taking a break from raising money. Um, and I'm focusing on um, my business, which is called Air Bay Wealth. And I'm trying to educate people about money, um, making different choices, helping people with their retirement. Um, and uh, I mean, really, that's my passion. That That's what I, I love to do is to help people take more charge of their money and to really understand that, you know, what they need to do in order to retire. Because I think a lot of people just are like, I'm gonna work for 30 years and then I'm gonna retire. Well, have you thought about what kind of income you want when you retire? Um, do you know that, that right now, the most recent uh, survey that's come out by uh, Morningstar, it's a it's an independent contractor or consultant. I'm sorry, has said that if you have a million dollars in the stock market, that you can expect to take 2.8 percent of that a year. Um, so that's $28,000, and of that $28,000, it's you right now we're at a 40 percent tax rate which is actually historically low. Since the beginning of time, I think the tax rates have been at 58%. Um, so they people think they can't go higher. Yes, they can, and they probably will. So if you're not planning for your income or tax strategy, you could be very unpleasantly surprised. And that's that's what drives me to kind of do what I do now. So what's the difference between wealth strategy and, and financial planning? Is it is it just that foresight to kind of plan those steps? Yeah, to be a little bit more conscious, you go into a financial planner and they, they're very, very concerned with accumulating to get you to your magic number, whatever that number is. But if you talk to them about, okay, well, what kind of income should I be expecting in my uh, you know, retirement years? Unfortunately, I think I just had a survey where there was 43% of people believe that they'll be able to take 10% out of their, um, you know, their magic number, their golden egg. <laughs> and the truth is, it's much lower than that. And I want people to know these things so that they can better prepare to have a, to have a retirement that they deserve and that they want. So what does that look like? So taking a, I guess, a, a typical client, what does, is that a conversation? Is there, do you break down kind of their objectives and then balance with their income? Yeah, I just, you know, we, I, I usually just look at their whole financial picture and what they're trying to accomplish. And then I, you know, de kind of depending on their age and where they are, make suggestions that may be outside of, of, honestly are outside of the norm um but they they provide very good um you know results uh for them so yeah that that's usually what i do i mean the my um my logo is is air bay wealth or uh, but it's it's protect grow and preserve those are the three things i try to do um with people's money because what i found um, 
from raising money in in these syndications is that the wealthy people usually people think they got rich by doing very extremely um you know very mm -hmm. high risk things and the the truth is is they're they're very risk adverse and they don't want to lose money and that is truly you know the path to becoming wealthy is to really protect and preserve and grow your money where it's not be where money isn't being lost and what do you think that biggest um i guess aggregating all your customers or your, all your clients what's that biggest kind of lesson or misconception that people kind of bring into you when they come meet you? um i i think it's not so much misconception but it's just not being responsible for the the money that they have and kind of giving over that responsibility to a financial planner, not understanding that they're being charged fees. And even in my book, I, I'll go into the differences between a person paying 1% fees, 2% fees, and 3% fees, and how that adds up. Um, I mean, the difference between a 1% fee and a 3% fee Mm -hmm. um, can mean working for a decade longer. So uh, there's yeah. just uh, there are ways of of making their investments more efficient, and that's it. It's scary, yeah. isn't it? When you when you start running those, I, I think I read the Tony Robbins book, mm -hmm. um, and I can't. I want to um, say it's called Unshakable. Oh yeah, yep, Unshakable and Money Master and it, the Game, both of them. It's it's fascinating about fees and it's like well that's that to be honest that was my wake-up call on on stocks and um more on on how my 401k was invested at yeah. the time I was like what are all these fees what are they doing yeah. for me and, and they're a bit <laughs> deceptive because i used to like i said i was selling these myself and they would be and it would say this uh this mutual fund is charging one point whatever percent and that's what people tell me and I'm like well go back into the back of your prospectus and read about the last 40 pages where it goes into fees and yes the, the average mutual fund fee is a little over three percent a year uh, uh, the fees for an index fund like what you're you're in is should be possibly less than one percent so you could look at saving a couple percent just by moving um, your money into that. Yeah, and there's also then the risk risk aspect. If I can get my mm -hmm. words out, um, I, so what does a fund a fund's performance in the last two years is great, but what about the previous ten? Yes. Uh, and what about the fund manager's previous performance? Those kind of things have to come into play. Well, they, you're still on the hook. Yeah, for the they say that the that the indexed fund beats any mutual funds performance 93% of the time. So just mm -hmm. by doing that, you're going to be well ahead as far as, you know, your fees and performance. <laughs> I like that. Um, so one of the thing, one of my notes, and I'm, I keep looking at my other screen, so yeah. apologies uh, when this does get to video. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is maybe talk through, we talked about the kind of differences and the myths. What, like the mechanics of investing like a wealthy person is there is there like a strategy you'd apply like in terms of how you'd set up a trust or insurance products or investment vehicles 
is there kind of a rule of thumb? There, there isn't really a rule of thumb. I go by like what the person wants to accomplish, but, mm -hmm. it, but I also, you know, that diversification is really, really important. I see it all the time. I was talking to one of my extremely wealthy investors, but he's also a good friend of mine. And I was like, how much do you like put into this or this? And he goes, my general rule, Stephanie, is I don't put any more than 10% in any type of investment. Now he, he has a lot more money to work with. So, uh, you know, I don't think it has to be that you know, 10% or whatever, but it certainly needs to be. And when I, we're talking about diversification, we're not talking about diversifying in the stock market. We're talking about that he has 10% of his money in the stock market, 10% in real, real estate syndications, 10% in real estate he owns, uh, like uh, rental properties or so. He, he invests in private equities. He invests in insurance. Um, a lot of people don't realize that in investing in insurance are they're completely turned off by that. But every single wealthy investor I have ever met has uh, has used some form of investing in insurance, life insurance specifically. Stephanie, that's a great segue to my next question, which was, I want to explore that. That's something I, we, we had um, a guy on a, a while back, Chris, uh, Chris Miles, who, um, who was all, you know, that was what he did is, is insurance and, and guidance around that. And it's still something I don't think I quite understand, um, specifically around premium life insurance, but generally like what, what does that look like? Well, I, I often, well, I'll just say with my little spiel that I tell people is that most people think they want to buy the least amount of insurance or, you know, the most amount of insurance for the least amount of money. And listening to Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, they'll tell you to go to term, buy term, and then uh, invest the difference, uh, which is, uh, if you break that down, it fails miserably, uh, like with a, actually a lot of their advice. But, um, and then people end up buying term. Well, you know how many um, death benefits get paid out of term insurance? 2% of all term policies actually pay out when the person dies. Um, and so the, that's the problem right there. The, the second thing is that um, there are people wealthy consistently by large insurance company or insurance policies put money into them. And, but do you know that, that the IRS um, monitors how much money that they can put? It's called a, met, uh, a maximum endowment um, that they can put into a life policy. Now I ask people, why does the IRS care? The IRS cares because it, it's, this is a very efficient way of, of wealthy people would put all of their money in life insurance if they could. The, the key is is working with not, you know, your all state agent, not, not to say anything bad, I was a farmer's agent, but most uh, agents are not, you know, really taught how to set up these policies the right way. They need to be designed or engineered, as I say in my podcast, to, to either do a few things. Um, they can set these policies up to pay, uh, outstanding on their um, estate taxes when they die to settle their estate taxes. Um, that more, more recently, 
I, I work with a lot of people who want to set up tax-free income. And this is an alternative to, um, say, the Roth uh, IRA, because many people make too much money to contribute to this. But it does work very much like that product in the sense I, I could break down what a premium financing life insurance policy is, is um, you pay you pay 20% of the premium, the insurance company pays the rest of the premium. Uh, we're talking, let's say, the person puts in $200,000, the insurance company puts in a million, okay? And then, I'm sorry, I got that wrong, but $200,000 for the insurance, for the person who's being insured, $1 million comes from a bank, not the insurance company. And so then that money just sits and grows and you are leveraging a bank to pay your insurance premium. Then let's say that that gentleman lives to be 90 years old um, and he passes away. The, this is all housed within a life insurance policy. So his heirs and children, grandchildren get taxed. Wait, can we, can we start from the yeah. top? Because yeah. I think I missed a bunch okay. of that. I missed like 30 okay, seconds. Okay, sure. So uh, the top was, uh, so the, I know. All right. So the um, client pays 200, $250,000. The insurance company or the bank contributes a million dollars into this policy. The way that we structure this is that within the first 10 years, the bank takes its money out. So you've never had to pay them or, or do anything like this. You get a loan from the bank and this is building up the value in your policy. Think of just chart, turbocharging an engine and uh, leveraging in with this money. And so by the time 20 years have gone by, this person can access, let's say, $110,000 for the rest of their lives tax-free, which is significant because, you know, we don't know what taxes are going to be in the future. It could be, you know, that could be the equivalent of giving $200,000 in a taxable environment. Um, so this policy, they put in 200, 250,000, and they get benefits of $3.8 million of lifetime tax-free income. Um, and then say the person lives to be 90 years old and they die, this is this whole thing is, is within a life insurance policy. So then he leaves a, a couple million dollars to his heirs. Um, when he dies. So it's, it, this is a policy, again, if you look it up, you're not going to find a lot of information about it. Premium mm -hmm. financed insurance because it's really been sold largely um, to very, very wealthy people. But recently they have reduced, you know, their um, requirements and, and allow people to access this with a lot less net worth. Um, and then let's say someone doesn't qualify for the premium financed insurance right away, we can set up, we can design another life policy that will build up to a million dollars. It will take probably, I mean, depending on the contribution amount, it, it could take five to 10 years. And then you could roll it, roll that money into a premium finance and supercharge the their retirement income. 
So there's there's many things, and I'm sure people's eyes glaze over. But there. No, I've I have <laughs> questions. I, I I don't. I'm still not sure I okay. get it. So why would the bank do that? What's in it for the bank? bank? Is it just the interest? Yeah, the bank is in it because the. And actually, I've had a lot of people be like, "Are the what? There's the banking. You know, crisis is going on and." are they do you still have your relationships with banks yes we do we've been doing this for 20 years so we went through the last 2007 2008 2009 meltdown these banks love these types of deals because the money just sits and they get their interest rate and it is guaranteed to get paid back to them um, and so they don't have to worry about pay, getting monthly payments or anything like that they're paid off in 10 years usually with the value that's in the policy but it leaves enough value in the policy to keep because there we're starting this engine up with this you know million million one million two hundred thousand dollars is working this engine for the first 10 years and it builds it builds this money very fast because that's the way we design them to work so if I took this up and put in what it was the example two hundred thousand, mm -hmm. and then the bank puts in a whatever, million, a million mm -hmm. and then I pay that back, the bank takes money out. Money, the, the money will keep growing in the policy because that's the way we design it. By year ten, the bank pulls out its whole money, my minus, and yeah. it doesn't affect. You still have cash value that's already been building up. And you, you still have your death benefit. So if you pass away, you, you get the death benefit. But mainly, I, I've been designing these lately for people that want the tax-free income um, and because it's, it's, it's an incredibly powerful thing. That's, yeah, that is incredible. Is, and so at the end of that, how is that then converted into a retirement vehicle? Yeah, no, no, it's fine. It's always a life insurance policy. And what uh, people say is, is, you know, you can, the technical word when you take out distributions from an insurance company is that you're taking a loan. That's the way that we get around uh, the tax, the tax thing. So but what this um, company does is they charge you 2% to take the money out, but they, they give you a 2% credit. So overall it's zero. Um, but um, yeah, that, that again goes, <laughs> these are complicated instruments, but um, very, very efficient. Is there an age limit on that? Do you have to be over 65 or is it any time? Nope, nope, and that's the beauty of it is once the bank takes its money out, you that's your money so if you decide hey i i want to invest in you know maybe a few syndications or i want to do something with this money in the meantime you take it out you give them a call i i was i just recently set this up for some good pe people that i've known for a while and they were trying to get a home equity loan um and they they were like steph you cannot believe like how much we hoops we have to jump through to just take the equity out of our home. And I was like, if you have one of these policies, 
you could just pick up the phone, say, I'd like $100,000. And they say, okay, uh, give us your bank account, and they deposit it the next day. It's very liquid. It's, um, yeah, just extremely liquid. And what would someone have to start with? On, on this is what's the kind of what's the mi minimum buy-in well for a premium financed insurance you you do need probably two hundred thousand but that amount is paid over the course of four years if mm -hmm. you, yeah it, if yeah. you don't have that money then we could probably set up a really good policy that will in you know put give us some time and it will increase to that million dollars and then you would you would you would transfer into that other policy and that you could probably get going for i don't know i'd say twenty five thousand dollars a year for maybe five payments wow yeah. okay so not not vast no. amounts but good for good for planning is there any other um I've, I've been thinking a lot about um estate planning and all that grown-up stuff that i can't stand <laughs> um and llc's and all that stuff so is there any other kind of quick tips or things you think people don't think about or should think about? I think they, they should think about, um, you know, looking at these types of policies, but also, um, if, if the people are older and they're thinking about getting retirement income, annuities is, uh, there's a great deal of misinformation about annuities too. And annuities are incredibly powerful, machines to give you guaranteed lifetime income and really nothing else can compare to because the interesting thing is the insurance company writes up two products life insurance and annuities okay so they are very well aware of out of a hundred people that are age 60 how many will die and how many will live and that they they have a real strong sense of of these numbers and so with annuities, you get paid your principal and your interest, just like you would with a stock or mutual fund or whatever. But the interesting thing about annuities is you get what's called longevity credit. So the longer you live, the more money you get. And so it's a, it's a very interesting um, thing that everybody should really look into about giving them a lifetime stream of income. No, I, lo I really like that. And I don't, that's another thing I know nothing yeah. about. Yeah. So I think uh, <laughs> it's, it's super interesting. It's, it's kind of, um, I don't want to say boring, yeah. but the, the predict or the, the kind of pace of it and the consistency of it is really, should be really interesting to us all. It right? is. I think I, I yeah. think it's really interesting and I think actually if you follow people that work in this industry like I mean I do and many people that uh, support me do they they take out these policies I have several annuities I have this premium finance insurance myself um, so like we're doing what we're saying works and no I love that and I think for me it's it's the it, it, everything else kind of blends or a lot of things blend into trying to trying to make things work quickly yes. and actually and you 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 mentioned it earlier so many wealthy um people and, and wealthy investors warren buffett springs to mind their plan is to lower risk invest over the longer term and you know bet on sure bets rather than trying to just jump on oh this looks like it could work today well i think 
Yeah, it makes me remember back to when I was an insurance agent and there was another older insurance agent who had MS and he was very, very convinced that he he didn't want me to advise him where to put his money. He knew he wanted his money in this one mutual fund. And um, that was about, it was, uh, you know, growth. And I was like, this is not, this is not smart. Um, you know, you need to have it more diversified and whatnot. And he was like, no, it made 30% last year. It's going to do it again. And I think people that are looking for the quick fix, you know, those answers of quick fix, just talk to someone who's invested in cryptocurrency or, or, or things like that. Wealthy people, sure, they'll, they'll take risks with very small amounts of their money. I mean, I was talking again to that investor and I was like, what money do you put into startups or, you know, more risky stuff? He's like one to two percent of his money he puts mm -hmm. into that um, because that that's you can make a lot, but you can lose a lot just like in Vegas. And I don't want to gamble with my money. <laughs> I, I completely hear that as someone who does invest in, in Bitcoin yeah. and has seen the, the rise and the drop and the rise. And, and, and I invest long term. Yeah. I believe in it as a longer term play rather than I, I couldn't trade. I don't know how people do it. 24 hours a day it would send me <laughs> send me crazy, I think. Um, but that, I think that's really that's so interesting. And, and that's what I guess there's like a opportunity for. I guess people like me, well, actually people coming up, my, um, my wife's nephew, we were, we were hanging out in Dallas and he was asking me about like, oh, how do I, how do, I do this or how do I get rich? I was like, I don't know, <laughs> ask a rich guy. But I said to him, like, you're, you're 19, you're about to start earning right. money, put 200 bucks away and put it away sensibly over the next 40 years and you will, be, you will have some cash. Yeah, exactly. And he's like... Oh, <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. Like, or invest in Facebook just as it was in Series A investing, and then you'll be a billionaire. Well, I, I actually had a, um, a intern, and she was t last summer. She was uh, 23. She asked the same thing, and I said, just you know, get into real, you know, get into real estate, uh, into buying your first property and um you know saving and stuff like that and what and it won't take that long for you to get money and when you have a little bit of money you're able to leverage in because that really is the key that i've seen to a lot mm -hmm. of people is lever using leverage uh to get them you know better returns at the end of the day but yes overall you know doing due diligence and being sure they get into the right deals um but there's there's plenty of people out there that can talk to um, people about how to do that. Yeah, and my other tip to him was, don't spend your money on stupid stuff that you don't need to impress people you don't yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> or don't know. Absolutely, I agree with that a hundred percent. It's important to some people, um, but yeah, I grew up with a father who was very much like the millionaire next door. He was driving an old beat up pickup truck. He was a multimillionaire. <laughs> um, I, I do the same thing. I drive a, I don't drive an old Forerunner, but it's a Toyota Forerunner, and I'm pretty, pretty, pretty happy with that because I'm always like, I could take that money and invest in something. So I'd rather do that than buy a brand new car. 
Hey, there you go. That's a, that's, that's the principle, yeah. right? That's yeah. Make your money work for you rather than working for your money and all that good stuff. Stephanie, how do people get in touch with you if they want to connect and um, well, first listen to the podcast and and download the book, but then maybe they want to consult. No, no, you can go to my website, which is www.erbewealth.com. And um, from there, you can download the book. Like I, like you said, it's free um, right now. And uh, there's a great deal of education on my website about syndications uh, and also about uh, some of these things I brought up today, like premium financing insurance and, and stuff like that. You can schedule a short call if you want to delve into your finances a little more deeply. I'm certainly happy to talk to people and give suggestions and help them, you know, plan better and take more control of their money. That's awesome, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.